0: something to you that's very important. Not really. A man was being tailgated by a stressed out woman on a busy boulevard. And this is not a shot at anybody here. This is just a general story, so if this is like a striking resemblance to you and your habits that I don't know anything about it. That's just a God thing. I don't know. So a man was being tailgated by a stressed-out woman on a busy boulevard. Suddenly, the light turned yellow just in front of him. He did the right thing. stopping at the crosswalk, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. I think we all know something about that. The tailgating woman was furious... And honked her horn, right? So you got the guy and he did the right thing stopping. You got a woman behind. So the tailgating woman was furious, honked her horn. Maybe you've been this woman too. Furious, honked her horn, screaming in frustration as she missed her chance to get through the intersection, dropping her cell phone and makeup. As she was still in mid-rant, she heard a tap at her, on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her to exit her car with her hands up. He took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. Pretty extreme, right? After a couple of hours, a policeman approached the cell and opened the door. She was escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal belongings. He said, "'I'm very sorry for this mistake.'" You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, flipping off the guy in front of you, and cussing a blue streak at him. I noticed the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker, the Choose Life license plate holder, the Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker, and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. So naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car.
1: <laughs> Snagged. <laughs> Snagged.
0: Right? Snagged. So what we're talking about this morning is like this idea of being in the world and worldliness. We're going to read about that in a minute. And this is one woman, you know, that probably was... You know, certainly uh, probably part of her church and choosing life. And what would Jesus do in Sunday school? Yeah, rah, rah. Um, but maybe some worldliness crept in there to affect her behavior a little bit and led to some things. Um, the difficulty is that it's like, okay, what exactly does God in the Bible mean by worldliness? Like, what is that even? You know, that's like a weird term. That's just not something that non-Christians especially don't use, but then when Christians use it, what exactly are they saying? And then, just because a Christian, whatever that means a lot of times, whenever they're saying it, are they meaning the same thing that another Christian is saying? So then, that kind of implies we should probably know what the Bible's saying about it, because that's probably the best way to go about it. Um... And then what does a lifestyle like that look like? Uh, You know, how do you handle this, this like worldliness, this world, and then this Christian dynamic, and how does that work? Because it can get to a dangerous place. Uh, I I got a friend of mine who we talk a lot about stuff, and you know, one particular day we were talking about uh, church and Christianity and all that, and I, I don't even remember the topic of the conversation, but I could tell there was a couple of points in the conversation where he was just—he was just taking shots strategically to get a rise out of me, you know, just to see what may happen. Um, and uh, and I understood that, I, you know, I know this individual pretty well, and so we kind of went back and forth about a whole bunch of stuff, and then we got to a point, and he goes, "Man," he said, "that was that was pretty good." He said, I, "You know, I haven't heard some of that stuff before," and he said, "You got to be really careful though, about how you." talk about and say some things. He said, because depending upon who you're talking to and who's reading it, it creates this idea or scenario like it's an us versus them mentality and it's really divisive. And to a point he's true to where it could just really be divisive. We're like, this is the Christian world, the Christian people. Uh, We have all the answers and then you have everybody else over here And they don't have any of the answers and they don't know anything. And so now this group teaches that group like a project. And they try all these different techniques, methods, and certain ways of getting them to mentally assent to what they think. And that can be a pretty bad scenario. Because if you notice, there is nothing involved in there in creating, building a relationship dynamic that's rooted in love. So if it gets reduced to this us versus them and think the way I think, because it's the right way that I think, um, that is a pretty serious us versus them scenario that can get pretty dangerous. But at the same point, so even though that's true, it's also true that Jesus talked multiple times and the Bible talks multiple times about the world and the Christian. So let's see what the deal is. Sound good? And that's going to have some implications for us. So let's read it, and then we'll talk about a couple things, and then, um, and then we'll head home to enjoy this awesome day outside. So we're going to pick up this morning at John 15, verse 18. And in case you missed us last week, a super quick recap. Uh, last Sunday we were here, night service, had some pros and cons, but overall, just a great night. Um, and I just enjoy, enjoyed having dinner with people downstairs and just fellowshipping, and it was good. It was just, it was different rolling up here and having it be dark outside. Um, and it was different in our home, at the Murphy family. And usually Sunday mornings are pretty crazy. I mean, we get as much done as we can during the week, but it, it's still just hard. And so a lot of stuff comes together also on Sunday mornings. But we spent last Sunday morning, uh, I was in my pajamas, like, until, I don't know, like, 2 o'clock. It was awesome. And the kids were like... No underwear, no nothing, and we were just running through the house. We were throwing, I had clothes on, but we were, don't want that mental picture, but we were throwing balls at each other and wrestling, and the music was on, and we were dancing, you know, it was just awesome, so it was fun, and um, so that wasn't what we talked about last week, but that's what my home looked like last week, but what we talked about here was that in John 15 uh, the key was that Jesus was saying, hey, listen, the, the key, the cornerstone. And last week was just so important. So if you missed it and you'd like to hear, I, I highly suggest it. Because it's it's the cornerstone. It's the foundation of the Christian life, which is being in relationship with God. That is the cornerstone that's of utmost importance. It, it's not, are you a part of Calvary Chapel, Naugatuck? Or are you part of some other church? Do you serve here? Do you go to this Bible study? It, it, it doesn't. Pretty much irrelevant. All of those things are supposed to come out of a personal relationship with God. And so we talked last week about, you know, I, I got some friends also that say, well, I have a relationship with God. And then I'm like, eh, you know, are you saying the same thing that I'm saying? Are you saying the same thing that like Jesus himself has said? Because the relationship he's talking about is one where we say, you're Lord of my life. You own it all. And I'm here to live for you. So your will, your plans, teach me your will. Show me how I fit in that. Then there's some other people that have a relationship idea of, well, I think he is important. I think he does matter. And so I'll try and like include him in a few areas here and there when it might work out. And I especially want to hold on to that get out of hell card thing because that might come important. But a lot of times it gets reduced down to that. And so relationship can take on some different meanings. So we talked about that last week. And the passage last week was that God overall, you know, He is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. We're supposed to abide and stay with the vine. And the sap that kind of runs through it is the Holy Spirit that helps bring life, that brings nutrients, and helps feeds and helps to grow. And the way that we grow and have relationship with God, the way that we're fruitful, the way that he describes, is we stay close to him, we stay connected to him. And then what he does, what uh, the father does, the gardener, is he prunes. As we start to grow and we develop and we're starting to bear fruit and do well, he says, I love you so much, good job, snip. And he says, you're on the right track, this is good, snip. So it's like, when people are looking for Christianity as just a comfort level issue type thing, One of the most important factors of growing, which is the pruning process, is painful. And so if we just focus on that, we're totally missing how the growth happens. So we talked about a whole bunch of that stuff last week. um, And we pick up in verse 18, where Jesus continues the conversation. So he says, If the world... So say the world. If the world hates you... Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but have chosen you out of the world. So, this the world is in there a lot, right? That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you No servant is greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles and that they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written. They hated me without reason. Now, when the counselor comes, whom I'll send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And all this I'm telling you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. And then he keeps talking from there. So as Jesus goes through here, I I think it's hopefully pretty obvious that just previous to this, he's like, man, stay connected to me. Stay with me. Stay in the vine. You will bear fruit that will just, um, that you will continue to grow. It's not like you just automatically done and just, you arrive You will continue to bear fruit. You'll experience life. It will be abundance. Stay connected to me. You'll experience my father's joy, my father's love. And then right from that, he's like, well, while that relationship is going on, there will be another one externally you might not like so much. And he's saying, hey, listen, they hated me. They're about to arrest me tonight. There's been nothing but problems between me and the religious leaders. Uh, And he's going to go on later to say, you know, I'm going to be crucified. He's mentioned it before, previously in the Gospels. So he's like, guys, this is kind of part of the territory. This is what is coming. It's not necessarily the best of news. But he's telling them this for two reasons. One is because he quotes the Old Testament. Where he does that in uh, verse 25. They hated me without reason from Psalm 35. So it had to happen because in Psalm 35, God was saying, hey, listen, this is going to happen to the Messiah. And then secondly, this has to happen so that way Jesus can pay for sin, He can go away, then the Holy Spirit can come and we can now live a life in the Holy Spirit. So to understand, I think more clearly, what the world is, who the world is, how this works, I think, is really important. And, and the feeling that I got when I just prayed about it over this week, because I think that most people, if you read it, probably surface-level reading is, okay, Jesus is not of the world. He wants us to follow him. If I look like the world, that's not good. And so, okay, I'm going to try not be like the world. That's probably surface-level reading, I would say. And I would say that's probably kind of good, but I think that we should take it a step or two further and say, well, what is the world and and why would Jesus say this? And what does that at all have to do with us? Are we in danger? Is it possible that the world could sneak its way into the church? Definitely yes, right? It's definitely possible. So I think we should probably be on guard for our church, and then like aware in our God and our own personal lives. Because what I really felt like as I was just studying and praying this week was that there is this spirit of the world, we'll call it, a spirit of the world, and it finds its way into the church and into people's hearts and homes. And it's really difficult sometimes to identify it and like avoid it. But it's dangerous. And Jesus warned us about it. So I figured we should absolutely talk about it. This is like one of those passages where if I were like just picking preaching passages and going through the Bible and talking about them on Sunday mornings, I probably wouldn't pick this one unless like some event happened or, or something somehow resembled a whole like world issue took place and I'd be like, hey, let's go to the world passage and talk about how we shouldn't be doing this stuff. Um... But we go through the whole Bible and we just tackle and talk about everything, even the hard stuff, because I think that God calls us to and we're supposed to know the whole counsel of Him what He has to say. Now, as far as the world goes, let me share two things. Rejection and resistance for the Christian are a guarantee. Rejection and resistance are pretty much a guarantee. So how's that for good news? I don't know. But it's news that we need to hear, right? I think we we need to know that and talk about that. So rejection and resistance, pretty much a guarantee. Because it was a guarantee in Jesus' life. He got rejected for sure, and he got lots of resistance for sure. For always doing the right thing and never doing anything wrong. So when I think about the world, I tried to, like, a lot of times I just tr- try and ask myself, like, different, like, conceptual, like, questions and answers. I'm like, so if we're talking about the world, God, what are you talking about? What does it look like? What does it taste like? What does it smell like? Um, you know, what does it deal with the world? So from there, you know, I just started thinking about it. It's like, you know what? I live in the world. I should be able to, like, be able to identify some things about it pretty good. Um, when I think of the world as, as you live in the world and you work in the world and you function in the world, if you just take a step back for a minute and just kind of look at it, there's this world, there's this system that there seems to be a constant struggle involved. Just a constant, you're always trying to like make it, uh, save enough, plan good enough. There's like this constant struggle to like reach a certain pinnacle get to a particular place. There's this world where like, a lot of times it seems like people who do well and people who do good, it doesn't seem like this world really rewards them very well for that. It seems like sickness and death just cut some lives short where you're like, man, that was just a good life that you should not have, shouldn't have gone that way. Um, There's a world where it's like, whatever you need to do to accomplish whatever you have to get to, you just do it. Especially if it's in the pursuit of happiness, and you didn't have to do violence to get there, you should go do it. Or there's some places in the world where, hey, use violence and just do what you got to do, because if you got the bigger guns, then you, you win. It's so like this world has like some things that are just not, it doesn't sit right, right? And so like we read the news and we hear stories and we're like, man, this is just not, this is not a good deal. And we have like young kids, you know, we got a couple young kids and we're going to grow up in this world and it's, there's going to be so much vying for their attention. So much of the world is going to want to project, projecting its its values and it's, uh, you know, identity onto them. And they should, like, own it like that. And it's, just, it's a weird thing, right? This world that we live in. i put a definition down. Maybe it'll be helpful to you. It's helpful to me. Because this world that we're talking about is not necessarily a particular government, um, a, a system. It's like, a, it's like a, just a group. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a group. So if you say world of sports, you know, football's happening today. The world of sports, you know, it's just, it's just the world, all the athletes, everything about sports, the referees, the coaches, you know, some fans think they're part of the team, right, um, but, so. <laughs> but, um, and I made a football comment this morning, and some people from the Lutheran Church are like, hey, I'm a Giants fan, be careful with that, you know, so they're part of the world of sports, and um, you got uh world of politics, all kinds of things, But the world I think that he's referring to in the definition I wrote down is that it's a system organized by Satan to get us to leave God out. So say leave God out. Leave God out. out. And to distract us from God. So a system organized by Satan. This is where a lot of people squirm. (laughs) A lot of people want to believe in heaven and a place to go, and there's something good for us later. But Nobody wants to talk about maybe a hell issue or a Satan or a devil and demons. Uh, That's squirmy. But there's a system organized by Satan to get us to leave God out and to distract us from God. So when we're talking about the world, it's like this system intended to leave him out of the picture completely, or just distract us from trying to connect with Him. So that's why if the church or a Christian were to share some of what they think that Jesus is saying, there's going to be some fight back because our worldview is coming with what we think God or Jesus is saying. So if you post something on your Facebook or Twitter status about same sex marriage, you better believe right away there's going to be resistance immediately to that. You can if you post something about abortion right away, you're gonna catch resistance to that. You wanna talk something about the death penalty, you're gonna get resistance and struggle to that. If a parent like myself, we get in conversations a lot of times with other parents that are not Christian. I'm like, you know, I'm going to, yeah, I'm raising my kids in the church. I'm going to tell them all the Bible stories. We're going to, you know, tell them everything about God. We're going to pray with them, and that's what we're doing. And other parents are like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to brainwash my kids like that. Um, I want to raise them so that when they're older, they can just make their own choice and their own decision. That's a world way of st- Thinking, that's just, let's leave God out of the picture and let's just like let people decide. So there's a certain way to handle sexuality, finances. Either we include God and talk about Him, or He's at the center of all of it, relationships, finances, sexuality. Or we kind of leave Him out. Or if we do try and put Him in, let's just distract a Christian like crazy. Maybe get them arguing and talking about things that don't really matter. So they'll stay off the main issue. So there's this world that we live in. And it's a struggle. It's a battle. We all know it. Right? It's not an easy place for sure. But nonetheless, we are here. So when we're talking world, I think that's what he's talking about. This system devised by Satan. Now where are we getting that from? There's a lot of places and passages. If you look back, John chapter 12. Take a look. John chapter 12, you just flip back, verse 31. And there's a lot of places, but I thought that this was just the easiest to flip back to because it was literally a one page flip. So, verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And multiple places through the Bible, the devil, the enemy, saying, is known as the prince of this world. So the devil, Satan himself, he runs and he rules this world. This is his domain. This is his area. Some Christians take the position of, okay, um, everything would just always work out the way God wants it to work out because He is God. There's some truth to that, but There wouldn't be much of a need to really pray ridiculously hard and intercede in prayer if God was just going to do what he's going to do anyways. There really wouldn't be much of a need for that. So yes, this is like the devil's domain, his area, his territory, and we can see evidences all over the planet. You can see oppression, you can see the good taken advantage of, Um, you can see abuse, you can see hostility, you can see wars, anger, you can see all of that. Injustice is rampant. So he is like the ruler of this place. But the Christians, it's not like we're showing up here with a knife to a gunfight. It is true that the song that we sang, we will overcome, we can overcome... And Jesus, at the end of this passage, he says, but take heart, I have overcome this world. There's some power here for sure, but the Christian has the Holy Spirit lives inside of him and her that rose Jesus from the dead and empowers us now to live a life through Christ. So we're just not sitting ducks and victims for the prince of this world to have his way. So the Christian can pray and can move and can actually change what the prince of this world is trying to do and trying to accomplish. The Christian can actually change and transform that. The Christian can change a person's heart and a person's mind. I should have brought in a whole bunch of stories. I didn't. Maybe I'll just bring some more next week. But if you have some in your own life, then you know something about it. If he's done it in your own heart, in your own life, you know something about it. The praying Christian, the Christian that has the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them, changes situations and changes people. Sometimes we pray really hard, going after it, believing in faith for it, and it doesn't go the way we think it should go. There will be times of that. Please don't take that as a sign to stop like God didn't hear and, well, if he didn't do it this time, he's not doing it next time. And now I'm so discouraged, I can't even think about praying for the next thing. I'm telling you that it's just the enemy prince of this world that lays that one on heavy. Because if he knew, if you knew what he knows, he'd be in a lot of trouble. Sometimes it just doesn't work out the way we, I don't know why. But I can guarantee you, the fault does not lie with God's ability and with his power. just doesn't. Some things are just, yeah, don't have an answer, can't understand a lot of it. And it doesn't, I hope, lead us to another place to think, well, maybe he doesn't even love me that much because he won't even answer this prayer. Please don't fall into the trap of the prince of this world that would have you to believe that your circumstances that have happened to you in life is now a determining factor of how God loves you. Please don't fall into that. There are stories and stories and stories. Just in this little room, we can come up with stories. What's your story? It's pretty bad. What's your story? Huh, it's even worse than that. Oh, what's your story? Oh my gosh, that's bad. We can keep going, bad stories. But that's not going to get us real far. That might be a little bit healing for the person to get that out, you know, and kind of share that, and that's a good thing. But hopefully, that person then doesn't judge God's love for them based on those circumstances. The way that we know that God loved us, the way that we know for sure God loved us, was the fact that he put his son on a cross and his son willingly did it, went to the cross and said, yep, it's completely worth my death to have them. Please know that and understand that. Because if things are going well, oh, God must really love me. Like, this is, woo! You know, and then if things start to crash a little bit, and things are a struggle, and it's a strain, and the challenges are there, and the troubles are there, and the persecution are there. Be like, Oh my God, what did I do wrong? I don't even know if He loves me now. The love issue is already taken care of. I don't even know why I'm even talking about this because it wasn't even part of the message notes. But I know that. I know that the Spirit just wants to say that right now. I just know that. So please, when these things, these areas happen in life, the the love issue is not an issue. He has. Sometimes it's easier to see, think, and feel in some situations. It's absolutely true, and I'm not denying that. Sometimes he just feels closer. The goosebumps are there, and it's just easy to raise their hands and dance around the house. Sometimes it's, it's definitely not. But the love issue is there. He sent his son. That's how we showed his love. And we're called to receive that in faith and say, God, "I don't even understand what he's doing." I don't understand how a loving God could even let some of this stuff be happening. But I know that you love me. Help me to see that love, become that love to those around me. And Father, just do your will, your way. Sometimes we're just left to that prayer. It's an honest prayer. It's a heartfelt prayer. And even if there's some fight back on us to your will, your way, then we gotta pray that back to him too and be honest with him. God, I, I hate your will and your way. It's absolutely awful. Right? Pour that out to him. I don't like this. I didn't know about this. You should have told me before, Lord. Had I known? Just like so many married couples, and they get married, hey, 15, 20 years later, it's like, well, oh, that day was cool, but I didn't know it was going to come to this. Right? So the love issue, it's settled. It's settled. And I hope i hope that resonates. And I hope you can go back to that. So God isn't asking us to leave the world or get out of it. He's not asking us to leave. Because sometimes we think that, man, if I could just get out of this hell hole, that would be great. So when we dying? <laughs> Come on. Some kind of truth to that, but that's not necessarily the goal. He didn't just like, you know, we just say a prayer, eternity's now settled, and then we just got to suffer forever here. There's definitely going to be some suffering and persecution attached to it. I'm not saying that won't be the case. But I'm saying suffering and going through persecution and troubles, knowing that he's right there with me in it, providing a surpassing peace, in an abundance in a way like I've never known, that's a whole other kind of life. So he's not asking us to leave the world to get out of it, but rather he wants us to be ambassadors of him in it. That's really our call. Not to, hey, get me out of here, Lord. Just get, dah. And a lot of times people pray stuff like that. Oh my goodness, this job is just so horrific. Like these people are just... It's so dark there, and they want nothing to do with you, Lord, and, and they're just mean, and they go after me, and da 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 And sometimes, we'll even ask, and sometimes they, they ask me, and they man, just pray, get out of this job. man. It's just bad, you know, it's just... And depending upon who this person is in the situation, I'll be like, I don't know if I'm going to pray for you out of that situation maybe that darkness right there is the absolute perfect spot to have you shine like the light of the world and be an ambassador in the midst of it. Let's overcome in this situation. Let's overcome here. Maybe he's got you here for an absolute good reason because you're totally right. It is completely dark and void of everything God. So thank the Lord Almighty. He put you there so they can experience some of the kingdom right now. These are the places that He places us. And this is the way we should be thinking about our lives and where we're at. Because He's using us to be light and be ambassadors where we're at. And it just started really to get added to my prayer vocabulary just a couple of years ago. Where I just like, actually, I don't know, the Holy Spirit just kind of made it, made me aware to it. It's like, man, I just love these people so much that you're going in to see right now. I Be a conduit of that. Let them know that. I am passionately for their lives, and I love them so much. And I'm thinking about, you know, the annoying kid I'm going to deal with, and the kid's going to lie about his homework, and then the micromanaging email I'm going to get from my boss. and like, oh, this you know, stuff. <sighs> I'm I thank you. So we're called to be ambassadors of him in it. And the verse for that, if you can look it up later. 2 Corinthians 5.20 you know right, what? I can turn there super fast. You don't have to, and I'll read it to, for you. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. So we, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal, His case, for righteousness, for holiness, for a love that knows no bounds, a love that knows no offense, a love that keeps no record of wrongs. He's making kingdoms appeal through us. So I think a couple of things on that. One, that's a horrible plan. God, do you know who you're entrusting your message to? A punch of clay pots. And he says, it's okay, they're filled with my spirit. This is the way he does it. So it's not just reserved for the pastor, for the worship leader, for the missionary. He's making his appeal through the Christians. Through the Christians. We all got a job. This is just a good time right now. We can join in fellowship. We can sing some songs. Rejoice about how good he is. Doing a way we're really not persecuted. we in America so we can do it pretty freely. And then we can go out and be his ambassadors. Live a life out of the vine. That's what we can go do. So God doesn't have to leave it, but he wants to be ambassador with him in it. So why does Jesus tell him this? Why is he telling them this information? He could have just stopped the divine thing and they probably would have been okay. Um, but he's telling them this so that, we read later on in that passage, so they will not go astray. So they will not go astray. And Matthew 10 refers to the same thing. So that the, Matthew 10 verse 22 refers to a firmness. That will happen. Matthew 10, verse 22 says, Blessed are those that stand firm and do not fall away on account of me. So blessed are those people that are like, stick it in there and stand firm and don't fall away on account of who I am on account of what people might say. Because usually the world language is something like, oh, you know, you're a Christian now? You can't judge me. You don't know about me. Like, you know... It's a language that, uh, it, it, it's, if it's a disagreement, it's an immediate, like, hate attack. Um, it, it's just, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy how it works. You, you could make videos and do blogs and articles about any other weird phenomena within the world. Strange fetishes, uh, political interests, uh, finance, whatever you want to do. But as soon as Jesus' name enters the picture, it's automatic fight back. Automatic. Automatic resistance. So something for us to be aware of. And some of us are already well aware of that. Which leads me to this point. What's our response? What's our response to knowing this information? So we're in the world. We're probably going to get hated, have some difficulty. So what's our response to that? Definitely love them, right? The response is this exactly the same response we had before we knew the information. That's the response. It's exactly the same response we would have had if we didn't know they were going to hate us. And if, it said, and if we were going to act differently knowing that we might get some fight back that says something about us. That we want to confess to God. And be like, Lord, ugh, my obedience and actions as an ambassador on your part is too much controlled about what I think they might say and how they might respond. So it's exactly the same response we had before we knew the information. The only difference is that our expectations can be more accurate. Like now we can just expect there'll be some difficulty. So one thing that really irritates me a lot of times is that sometimes Christians can just be really mean and really hurtful and they can use passages like this. And what they do is, well... God said I would be hated, you know, so I'm getting hated and persecuted. And it's like, man, you're just like really mean and hurtful. So it's wrong to use that as just an excuse to kind of just not care and deliver truth in harsh ways. Because they could even be right about whatever they're talking about. But if it's really harsh and hard, We have to really check our hearts on that. Right? We have to really check our hearts on that. It's really important. It's really important that we're sharing and talking and discussing about something because our hearts are filled with a love for that person knowing that they have incredible value and incredible destiny. Not just because they have to think like me so that way they're right. It has to be a shift. We have to be attached to it. So our response is exactly the same we got to live in the vine we already talked about that we got to live in the vine live from the source and then our second response is we got to fulfill our role as ambassadors we got to fulfill our role as ambassadors so if we have people that are really concerned about being people pleasing and not starting fights and not having conflict less i don't like having fights and conflict i'd much rather just get along with a lot of people it just makes life much more enjoyable but sometimes the gospel is just going to invite some conflict. It's just going to happen. And hopefully we are able to handle that well. I know some Christians, where it rises to a conflicting level, the voices get really loud, it gets angry, and it just goes to not a good place. You know? Hopefully we can rise above that. Hopefully, we can rise above that. And hopefully, we won't shy away from talking about a difficult issue when it comes up because it's difficult. Hopefully, we can still engage and it just leads to whatever. Because conflict-free living is not necessarily Christian living. Conflict-free living is not necessarily Christian living. Jesus absolutely said, blessed are the peacemakers. He did say that. But he also said, I came to bring the sword. And he also said people are going to hate him and his disciples. So if we're able to live a Christian life and we pretty much don't rub on anybody, and there's never really any conflict and it just sort of just works out with everyone, probably want to reevaluate some things and just really think about some stuff, you know? Not that, please don't take that, hey, let's go out and look for fights. It's not at all what I'm saying. I know some Christians take it that way, but that's not at all what I'm saying. That's not what we're called to do. I, I think God, Jesus is just saying, hey, listen, don't be surprised when it happens. And when it does, you make sure you return good for evil. You make sure you love them with the love from heaven. So they would just be completely blown away. And make sure you pray for your enemies. So hopefully their response is now dictate your reaction. Because so many of us know so much about that. And it never had to be taught. Like Judson just the other day, you know, he just went over, he was on rubbing on Jaren, he just comes over, Jaren's playing with his car, he just rips that car. Out of the front. And so Jaren just flips out. Ah, he's got my truck, you know. And Judson takes it and he throws it. <laughs> he walks over, he sees his milk, and uh, John goes, "Don't touch my milk!" He grabs his milk, throws that thing across the room. <laughs> Listen, mommy and daddy never taught him that. We never did. It might be hard to believe, but we never did. We never taught him how to do that. It. it just comes natural. They just come along, take stuff, and It's just what happens. It's just our nature to just do things like that. Something gets pulled away or something doesn't work out quite well and that was my thing and we just tend to just come back with it. Hopefully the Holy Spirit has changed us so much from the inside or is changing us so so much from the inside we're going to respond the same way we did five years ago. That's how you can tell the Holy Spirit's working in somebody's life. That's a fruit that lasts. So ready, to stand and um, we'll close. So it's not necessarily like a a yay, rah, rah, amen, we're going to run around the church type message. But I think it's a message where, you know, we we have to talk about, you know, God put it there and it's true. It's true. we got to pay attention to this stuff. And, you know, many times I I think of like an analogy, an illustration of like a boat. Boats, like, were built to be in the water, right? I mean, it's just ridiculous that just... We have one. We have a pretty crappy boat that's just sitting in the yard and just dilapidating right now. And um, it's just happened. It was fun in the beginning before the kids, but now since the kids, it hasn't been real successful. So we got a boat that's just hanging out, not doing anything. But that boat is doing awesome when it's fixed up, and we're out there, and we're just cruising, doing our tubing, a water scan, which Julia is very good at water scan. And we're going through it. It's so much fun. It's doing what it was created to do. And so that boat would have serious problems if it's one, sitting in our yard, which it is. Or number two, we take it out and it just sinks when it hits the water. That boat is built to be on the water but stay above the water. We as Christians, we are built To be in this world, function as Jesus did, but certainly rise above it and not sink below. So we're called to be. I don't be outside rusting and rotting away, saying how cool I was back in the day. Like, (laughs) right? We got to rise above. So we're called to be. I mean, it just, hey, he's he's the captain, he gets to steer that thing wherever he wants. So we're going to close with that song. He's called me higher. He's called me deeper. Because that's the case. He's called us higher. He's called us deeper. So when disagreements and difficulties come, that's okay. I love how that song starts off. Basically like, yeah, I I could just kind of just stay to myself, not tell anybody anything, keep walls up in my life. I could do that. You've called me higher, right? It's just, it's awesome. So we're going to close with that, Rob. We good?
1: Okay. I could just sit, I could just sit and wait for all your goodness, hope to feel your presence And I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something saving